Good to see you here today. I appreciate you being here. Greetings to our spiritual family at 33rd Street and uh, Waterford, and it's just a delight uh, to, uh, to be with you. Uh, I was uh, at Lake Mary a few weeks ago, and a couple came up after I spoke, and they, they said, we haven't seen any pictures of your grandchildren in a long, long time. And I was convicted of, of my negligence to all of you. I know you've been dying to see some, so I brought just a few along tonight. Um, first of all is uh, my son's oldest, Zoe. She's 11. She lives in Seattle. She's just every bit of what you see in that picture. She's just a personality. Uh, then there's Char, uh, her sister, eight years old. She will be playing for the women's national soccer team when she reaches her adulthood. She's awesome. Uh, and then the, their youngest, Mabel, who's just, she looks cute there, but wow. Uh, <laughs> She, and she is. She's a doll. She's, she's got a great personality. That's my, those are my son's daughters. And then my, my daughter's children, uh, they were first day of school. They took one together. That's Keller on the right. He's in fifth grade. He's uh, 10 years old, and he's already five foot four, and just made the uh, basketball team, and uh, we're excited about him. And then Fiona, who's just my sweetheart, there is his sister, and uh, they're on their way to school. And I want to tell you, I am a new grandfather twice over. I have two grand dogs now. I'd like to share those with you. Uh, this is Trip. He's the black lab uh, that uh, is up in Elmhurst, my, uh, my daughter's dog, and uh, he's, he's uh, just a great dog. And not to be outdone is our Seattle grand dog. Uh, this is Neville. And he's already 100 pounds. He's nine months old. And uh, that look on my granddaughter's face is the look that I had on perpetually when I just visited last time. He's huge. And uh, he is, uh, he's our latest addition uh, to the family. So there are some pictures. I know you're, some of you are just tolerating me doing that, but tough. You get to watch them anyway. I just really love my grandkids. I think they're awesome. Um, you know, those kids are great, and they're delightful. But I've also seen those kids angry, too. It's amazing how kids, they, their personalities, they get angry, and uh, they are, are, all get angry in their own special way. It's pretty dramatic when they get angry, and uh, um, I've, I've sort of navigated through that and tried to, tried to be wise in terms of how I responded to them. But let me ask you this question. When's the last time you were angry? When's the last time you were angry? Uh, some of you were angry today. Some of you we're angry maybe on your drive to church here tonight, getting ready to worship God, right? Uh, maybe the traffic got you angry or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I know couples that argue on their way to church on a regular basis. They're, they're late. They're talking about getting the kids ready. And, and uh, you, you've probably been there. You've got in this conflict on the way to church and you're back and forth and the kids in the backseat going back and forth watching you both go at it. And, and then uh, you get to church and then you have to just go, oh, Brother John, how are you? It's good to see you. It's like you have all this angst inside, and it's just like stripping emotional gears because you've got to stuff that anger. After the church service is over, you get back in the car. Where were we? Let's go, right? <laughs> anger. Anger is something that, that I think we all experience. We get angry for a lot of reasons, but basically I think it's three primary reasons. We get angry because our rights have been violated. I have a right to do this, and you've gone against that. Uh, my expectations have not been met, or I have been hurt. 
something or someone has hurt me and, and it causes me many times to feel anger. And there are triggers for our anger. Uh, things like different political views can, can make us angry. Most drivers make me angry. Uh, unhelpful service staff make me angry. Ungrateful athletes, excessive and disrespectful profanity makes me angry. The traffic lights in a four-mile radius of here make me really angry. They make no sense whatsoever to me. So there, there are a lot of things that, that, that stir that up. But what makes you angry? What really gets you going? Uh, I was angry earlier this week. Uh, I share this with you, sort of an embarrassment, but this is, this is something that happens to me. Uh, from time to time. Uh, my wife is away on uh, the uh, uh, retreat with the team uh, that she works with at her work, and so I've been taking care of myself for four days, feeding myself and, and uh, uh, trying to survive. I think I've, I'm, she's coming home tonight, so I think I've made it. But, uh, I, I, you know, you, you forget what it's like when you're just alone doing this, I mean, when, when you've been married for 42 years like I have, and she leaves and there are things that I have to do. And uh, one of them was I needed to empty the garbage one night. So there was the kitchen garbage and the plastic bag. And, and I always take it, usually take it upstairs to empty the bathroom uh, waste baskets as well. And I was, I was doing that, took it upstairs. That's it, and and uh, I didn't want to bend over and empty the wastebasket in this one bathroom. So I set it on the clothes hamper. This is a really clever idea that I had. Just set it up there, and so I just heft, heft that bag up that way so I wouldn't have to bend over. Well, as I was doing that, the, the side of the bag collapsed, and every bit of, of garbage that was in that, that basket just fell to the floor. And I started speaking to the garbage. You ever do that? Come on, I said. Come on. What are you doing? Like, really? All of a sudden, I'm angry. Why am I angry? I'm angry because my expectations haven't been met. I, the garbage needed to go in there. If the garbage could talk, what would it say? This is what you get for throwing me away, using me, throwing me away. I don't know what it would say. What makes you angry? What, what, get, what gets you to the point where you're going, ugh? Anger can be defensive. But it also, more typically, can be used as a weapon. And there are three dysfunctional expressions of anger. And uh, in general, there's a rebuttal anger. I have something that makes me angry. I will, I will respond in anger. Anger causes anger back. Another uh, dysfunctional response is codependence. Oh, you're angry? Ooh, what do I need to do to make sure you're not going to be angry? Let's make sure that I'm going to do whatever it is to make sure that you're going to be okay and you won't be angry anymore. So I, I, I am working so that anger is not seen. Or my favorite, emotional shutdown. You make me angry, you do not exist. You, you, you are dead to me, right? You don't exist. All three of those are improper and, and problematic, really, uh, responses to anger. And as we work through the, the Sermon on the Mount, the passage we have tonight is in Matthew chapter 5. It's in your bulletins or if you have your Bibles or your, you have your Bible app on your phone, look at this passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I want to read verses 21 through 26. Jesus is speaking. He says, you've heard it that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 
But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. There is a price, there is a price to anger that is handled inappropriately. There's a price that we pay. So we're working our way, as John mentioned, through the, the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at the qualities and characteristics of people of the kingdom. Uh, the Beatitudes, remember the Beatitudes? Uh, just go through them really quickly. Those who are poor in spirit, meek, those who, are, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those, those who are merciful and pure in heart, peacemakers, those who, who are uh, persecuted for righteousness' sake. All these are characteristics of kingdom people. Jesus bases the whole sermon on this, this list, and then he talks about the fact that we're salt and light, that we are the people who are expressing God's presence to the world around us. Uh, people look at us, and they need to see something that, that's going to make them thirsty for God, something that, that perhaps they'll see God. And then last week, we talked through the passage where Jesus is saying, remember, these, this is a Jewish audience, and this takes place on a hill on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and he is saying to them, look, uh, I know there might be some controversy. You, you say, uh, you know, what, what am I going to do with the law? I have come, he said, to fulfill the law. I, I'm here to, to say that the law must be respected. Jesus lets them know that the law is good, but it's how the law was being used that needed a totally new perspective. And so Jesus begins the first of six statements in the rest of chapter 5. He, he makes this statement, you have heard it said, and then he, then he, he says the, the law, the, the standard, and then he says, but I say to you. Six times he, he reminds of this, and, and we've just read the first of these six. I want to just say that Jesus is fulfilling the law, Matthew 5, 17, when he does this. He's not reshaping the law. He's not negating the law. He's not spinning the law. But he's getting, and this is the important point, he's getting to the heart of the law. What God really intends us to see as he gives us these standards by which he wants us to live. So, just a couple more preliminary thoughts uh, about anger. First of all, Anger in and of itself is not sin. Just because I get angry, you get angry, doesn't necessarily mean that we're in the process of sinning or displeasing God. There are times when anger is certainly appropriate. I think we need to be angry at injustice. I think we need to be angry at, at, at times uh, when we're, we're trying to protect the people that we love. My wife and I were in Israel in, in the month of May of this year. And uh, we, uh, as part of our uh, time there with a group of people went to a, a memorial called Yad Vashem, Yad Vashem, two Hebrew words put together, it, and they literally mean a monument and a name. And if you've 
heard of this place or have been to Israel and seen it, it's the memorial to those who died in the, in the Holocaust. It's a somber place, as you can only imagine. It's beautifully done, beautifully put together. You walk in, the, the, and, and it walks you through uh, this journey, really. You're, you're just sort of walking through this museum. And it, it starts at a level up here, and then at each succe successive room, the, the, you go down a little bit till you get to midway through the, the, uh, uh, the museum, and then it begins to take you back up again as well. And you can imagine the, the, the stories and the pictures and, and, and the, the uh, videos that, that we saw. I mean, I went, I went through that, and, and uh, it, it's a very sad, depressing place. And, and uh, as I looked uh, from, from picture to picture, instance to instance, country to country, and you see thousands and, and literally millions of people who lost their lives because of, of this evil, uh, I began well, with a lot of other emotions to feel angry. There's just anger. Why? Why would someone do this to another human being? There are times when anger is appropriate. When, when, when children are abused, I, I get angry. When women are abused, I get angry. But uh, the other thing I want to say about anger Scripture reminds us the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. My anger is, it many times can be a weapon, and I need to watch out for that. Anger needs to be a transitional emotion, not a destination emotion. Anger needs to be a transition emotion, not a destination emotion. A lot of times we meet anger with anger. You want to be angry at me? I'll be angry at you. Ever get one of those? Oh, yeah? You want to raise your voice? I'll raise my voice, right? You want, you want to get upset with me? I'll get upset with you back. How's that feel? Anger to anger. Sometimes we meet with codependence, like I said before. Sometimes it's just emotional shutdown. All that does when you do that, it just sets, up, sets you up for future explosions because that emotion does not go away. Those, those instances don't just evaporate. I had a counseling session years ago with a couple. And I remember, I'll, I'll never forget this session. The, the wife was very, very angry at the husband. I mean, very angry. In fact, she just didn't feel she was getting it across, so she finally stood up in the middle of, of our time and just for five minutes, at the top of her voice, just, just was angry and just told her husband what she thought of him and just just told about all her hurt five straight minutes five minutes I, I i timed it i'm sorry to say i did but i just it was it was long and it was harsh and you know i didn't stop it my goal is to stop the anger but but i want to help someone process process that anger productively so a better question than When's the last time you were really angry? Here's the question that I want you to consider as you consider this passage. Where, where is your anger taking you? Where's your anger taking you? Jesus speaks really specifically to this as, as he goes through this. And I, he, 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 I just separate this passage into two, 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 two sections. The first one is the law defined. Jesus, Jesus defines this law in a really interesting way. So it says, you, you, you've, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And, and that actually is, is sort of a, 
a little bit of a change in, in the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill, you shall not kill. But, but the, the Pharisees sort of upped it, you know, you, it, it, you, you, you can't murder, you can't intentionally take someone's life. And the Pharisees determined that they'd be on safe ground if they just refrained from taking another life. That's the law, right? We don't, we don't, we don't murder, so we're following the law, period, end of story. And in, in deference to them, this was a culture where life was more expendable. You could take the life, for example, of a slave that you owned, and, and you, you, you wouldn't think twice about it. You wouldn't be, be penalized or, or prosecuted from that. that. That was your property. And the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people felt superior to the pagan cultures around them because they valued human life more than their Gentile oppressors, and they did. But Jesus says, now nah, you're, you're not quite getting to what the heart of the law is. So he makes this curious statement. Verse 22. I tell you, anyone who is angry, huh, anyone who's angry at a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Well, that lowers the bar, doesn't it? From here to here, oh, angry, huh. And then he gives this little, little statement. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. This, this is an Aramaic word, Raka. And it means, it's, it's a tough one to translate. The, the scholars have translated over the years. But it's, it's, the, it's the mildest of names that you really could call someone. It, it has the context of, of worthless fellow. Oh, you worthless fellow. You wouldn't feel, well, you know, that would be, you wouldn't like me saying that. But that's not like jarring, Right? Jesus is saying, you want, to, you want to talk about what this law really means? If you want to value life the way God values life, if you want to honor what he has created the way God wants it honored, then you will t take this seriously. You have to watch what you say with your words. Raka. Stupid, dimwit, airhead, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? Huh? We throw these things away, and, and sometimes they're clever. Sometimes, you know, that's, we, we chuckle. But Jesus is saying, those words can tend to do damage. And, and, and this first example, they use this Raka example, is more about a person's character, their personality, their attitudes, what they're like. I, I've... I've I suppose there are some good things I did as a parent, but I want to tell you there are some things that, as a parent, I, I'm not really proud of, and I'll share one of them with you. I, I, I tried to be a good parent, and I tried to love my kids, but this is one that I just lives in infamy. I can't believe I did this. My son was a junior in high school. He went to university high school. I was, um, I had, I think I had to pick my daughter up there, and uh, I ran into some of his friends, and, and it was at night. And uh, they were going to the auditorium. I said, where are you going? Said, well, we're going to go to the National Honor Society induction. And I, I congratulated them. Well done. Good, good job. Picked my daughter up, went home, saw my son. Hey, I saw so-and-so and so-and-so, your friend. And, and uh, they, uh, yeah, they were going to the National Honor Society induction, a little, little uh, uh, warm-up, you know, just to you know, practice and, and, and make sure that they do it all right, march in the right time. And then I looked at him. I said, boy. Sure wish you were a part of that. That's the way I felt, right? 
and he didn't say anything. My wife overheard it. She said something. She said something really very clear to me later. She said, what are you doing? I regret those words. You know, they're, they're just throwaway lines, right? They reflect my disappointment and really my frustration with, with a child of mine that, oh, he could do so much better. You've said that. I just, I just want you to perform to the, to, to the peak of your capabilities. Well, how often do you perform to the peak of your capabilities, right? Raka. And then he goes on and says, and anyone who says, you fool. So it goes from a, a bad head, you know, it's talking about someone's abilities or their character or their attitudes, to what they're like in terms of their conduct, their practices, their abilities, someone who, who frustrates you, someone who irritates you. You knucklehead, you conniver, you troublemaker, you mischief maker, all those things. Jesus says, look, just these throwaway words, you're doing damage. They hurt. I could take you, if the school still existed, I think they tore it down my elementary. Can you believe they tore my elementary school down? It's sad. Because um, you sort of want a plaque someday. Jim Keller went to school here. You just have the visions of that. But I could tell you, if, if it were there, I could tell you to the, the, take you to the classroom, Miss Gertz, sixth grade. I, was, I sat the, 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 the first desk up front, and there were rows of desks, of course. Joan Berenson sat here. Joan Berenson turned to me one day, sometime in the school year, I can't remember when it was, and she said three words to me. You are conceited. I had no idea what conceited meant. It's in sixth grade, right? You are conceited. I found out, though. It's amazing you remember those things, don't you? Sticks and stones will break your bones. Words will never hurt you. Lie, lie, lie. Jesus is saying, look, yeah, don't take a life, but are you, you, you're, you're damaging a life if you use your words inappropriately. Those are killer words. And then he gives two interesting illustrations. Jesus does a nice job with his sermons, I think. I, I just really like seeing what he does. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So these are the two illustrations of this sermon. Um, they both deal with unresolved conflict. First principle is this. Own your own stuff first. You want to make sure you're on the right side of what Jesus, where Jesus is going? Own your own stuff first. If you're confessing your sin and the spirit convicts you, you have wronged someone you know, stop praying, do what you're led to do, be reconciled to that brother or sister first. That's pretty simple. That's pretty straightforward. When I counsel couples, many times I, I have couples that that they're really doing their best to convince me how their spouse really is responsible for the trouble in their marriage. And, and that's a natural response. I feel, you know, there's times I feel that way too. I go, oh, God, change my wife. I'm sure she says, you know, change my husband, that kind of thing. But, but it's interesting that Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't start looking at other people first. You look at yourself first. Own your own stuff. 
says, don't bother taking a sacrifice to the temple when you've got something going on when you have unresolved conflict. You've got to go first and be reconciled, or at least make the effort to do that. Go there first. I was counseling a couple, and it was sweet, sweet, lovely people. I mean, really, really good people. They just were stuck, 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 frustrated, angry, and, and they were just going and uh, conflict after conflict. And, and <clears throat> I was trying to help. I don't think I was doing much good at all. I mean, it was just continued. And I was doing my best. And finally, I had this one-on-one this -on -one time with the husband. Now, this is, I went, oh, okay, we're going to be okay. Because in the middle of this time with him, he looks at me and he goes, oh. He says, you know, I think I'd better forget about expecting my wife to change, and I better own the stuff that I need to do first. Words to that effect. And I will tell you from that point on, the marriage turned around because he wasn't so worried about someone else, he was worried about himself. That's what Jesus is saying here in this first example. Own your own stuff first. And then, really curious, Settle matters quickly with your adversary you take to court. Great. Here, here's litigation, right? Oh, this is interesting. I don't, I've, I've never been on the, the uh, wrong end of a lawsuit, thankfully, and, and I pray I never will be, but I, that's not fun. And, and, you know, when someone says, hey, you know, I'm going to take you to court, what do you do? Well, it's not fun. You're, you get upset. You get legal representation. You want, you want to fight this thing. You want to make sure that this thing is, is, is adjudicated correctly right? Jesus is saying, don't let your anger lead you to wasteful and destructive decisions. If you're in an unresolved conflict, be quick to resolve it, even if you don't think that it's quite fair. When I did marriage conferences, we made this statement, and it's, it's a little confusing when you hear it first, maybe, but the statement I thought was really good. It's presuppositionally impossible to believe someone has met you halfway. See, I, I always have, I always have the, the, the idea in mind of what someone needs to do for me because all the things I do for them, but the other person's thinking the same thing. No, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is even if it's not fair, resolve the conflict. Don't get caught in anger, because you know why? Anger is going to lead you to a very bad and destructive place. On occasion, I'll receive an angry email. I know that shocks you, but I, on occasion, I do I receive anger. And I just, I, I, I'm always surprised. Why would someone be angry at me? But the people do get angry at me. And I, you know, my response is, I get angry back. And I, I, I uh, will write them back, and I'll set them straight. Make sure they know what's, what's what and why they're wrong. But I've developed a habit over the years that, that has saved my neck so many times, and that is everything that I respond to, if, if there's a conflictual email that I'm responding to, um, I have this, this little little circuit breaker checkpoint in my life, and that is my, my wife. So everything that I write out as a response to any controversial email, I run by her. And um, it is 
I'm telling you, she has done a wonderful job of saving me from being embarrassed many times over. And I can't tell you the number of times she'll read it and she goes, I really understand how you feel, don't send it. Don't send it. And she's right. Eight out of 10 usually is, are not passable, but I, I, but I will go back, I'll rewrite, I'll, I'll check. She goes, that's, that's good, send that. Don't, don't let your anger, Jesus, and lead you to wasteful and destructive decisions. We live in an angry world. We live, you pull up the internet, you pull up any kind of media, you don't have to wait long till you find someone who's upset and angry about some offense. And I'm telling you, it's, there, there's a lot of angry people out there and they're expressing it. We live in an angry world. Kingdom living, what we're called to in this sermon, what Jesus calls you and me to, kingdom living leads us to a counterintuitive lifestyle. Instead of getting angry and murdering with our words, we're called to do just the opposite. We're called, you and I, we're called to be peacemakers. Not troublemakers. We're called to kindness and sacrifice. Allowing God to be the ultimate judge of those with whom we disagree. Let God take it up. Quit murdering with your words, Jesus is saying. So I made my way through Yad Vashem, this memorial. It just, it was oppressive and discouraging until I got to one room. And they, they had a room set aside for some of the people who brought aid to the Jewish people. People that um, seemingly were random, but there was this one, I stood before this one video screen of this woman, this older woman who was being interviewed. Uh, she was Bulgarian, and uh, at the time of World War II, she was in grade school. She was Jewish, and she was in a Jewish school. And uh, she shared the story that uh, Bulgaria, like all the uh, countries that were occupied by Germany, was, was now required to gather all the Jewish people up and send them off to concentration camps, and most of them to their death. And Bulgaria was one of the few countries that resisted that, interestingly enough. But the day came for, for all these, these people to be rounded up, and they went to this Jewish school, and they, they, the, the guards were instructed to put a fence around the school. They, they, they entrapped these students. Of course, they were very upset. They couldn't go home, separated from their parents. There was a man, and she tells the story beautifully, a man by the name of Konstantin Markov, and he was, he was the, one of the bishops of the Greek Orthodox Church there in the city of Plovdiv, second largest city in, in Bulgaria. And he heard what was going on. He showed up at that school. The guards were there guarding, keeping these children in. And he says, what's going on here? He says, well, these children are here and they're going to be shipped off. We've got trains coming and they're gonna be putting these trains and we're gonna take them to, to a special place. And he goes, no, you're not. He said, well, you can't stop it. And he says, well, I'm going to go see them. He says, I'm going to climb in the fence. And he says, you can't. They say, you can't climb the fence. He says, what are you going to do? Are you going to shoot me? And this bishop, this Greek Orthodox bishop in his long robes, climbs that fence, 
gets down on the other side. You should hear how this woman describes it. It's touching. He gathers these children around him, and he says, children, what's wrong? Oh, they're crying. He says, they're going to send us away. He says, if they send you away, he said, I will lie on the train tracks. And if they pick me up, I will go with you. And right about that day, that time, interestingly enough, the, the parliament in, in, in Bulgaria refuted the law. They, 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 they reversed that, that edict, and uh, those children were set free. And she tells of the joy of, of being set free that day, but also the heart connection she had with this man who was willing to sacrifice himself. Do you think that man was angry at what was going on? Do you think he, do, don't you think he had thoughts of anger? I'm sure I would. You know what he did? Instead of railing at the, at, at the guards, instead of railing at the authorities, instead of being angry there, you know what he did? He, he, he chose to speak words of kindness and love to the people who needed it most. Where's your anger taking you? Where's it taking you? Are your words giving life? Or are they bringing about death? God's called us to so much more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it means to us. Thank you for the call of your son to live life of holiness, righteousness, lives honoring to you. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us with our anger. Lord, you know you've allowed us to experience it, but help us, help us to understand that that anger needs to take us toward you, not away from you. Toward love, not toward hate. And I pray as we, as we partake of, of, of these communion elements that we be reminded of your love for us, and the fact that when we deserved rejection, you accepted us. You give us words of life through your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.